to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We are at the 50-yard line in our series that we've entitled, Who Am I? Looking at this New Testament book, this letter written to the church of Ephesus, a group of first century believers needing to know the answer to this question, Who am I? And for the last three chapters, for the first half of the book, we have been taught over and over again of our position and the great privileges we have as being followers of Jesus Christ. And we have been told that though we were sinners, though we were far from God, God in His infinite grace and mercy showered us with the forgiveness we needed through the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And we praise God for that. And we sing, oh, what He has done. All the glory and honor to the Son of God. We're going to remember that sacrifice later in our service during communion. But that's not all that God has done for us in Christ. Yes, we have redemption. Yes, we have the forgiveness of sins. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 through 3 that we also have received an inheritance that God has opened up the coffers of heaven, the goodness and grace of heaven, and He's bestowed it upon us, and He's bestowing upon us each and every moment of our days, and we will receive the full inheritance, that full measure of that inheritance one day when we see our Savior and Lord face to face. Now, as we have learned these things in the first three chapters, the question then comes, and it begins to gnaw at us and it says if i'm a person who identifies myself in christ that is i center my life i found my life on the person of jesus christ if he's my all in all if he is everything to me then how should i talk how should i act how should I love? How should I serve? What should my practice look like? Now that I know what my belief and my uh, profession is, what should my behavior and practice now look like? So at the 50-yard line, now behind us is all that we are in Christ. We now pivot to what we are called to live like now, how we are to behave as followers of Christ. In chapter 4, he begins this word, therefore. Therefore, in light of all that we've learned so far, now do this one thing. And in verse 1, we are going to be put into a nutshell all that he's going to tell us for the rest of the letter. He wants us to walk. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received. And so we're going to need God's grace to do this. We're going to need His knowledge and wisdom to lead us and guide us so that we will walk that way. That we will walk in a way that is worthy of all the things we know about now who we are in Christ so that we may bring great glory to the God who has saved us and who now wants to use us for His kingdom work. To that end, let's pray a blessing on our time in the Word today and that He would lead us and guide us in this walk. Father God, we do thank You for all that You have done. As we gather together, as we uh, come under this banner of being followers of Christ, I pray, Lord, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. For some of us, this walk this week wasn't an easy one. For some, it was filled with trials and tribulations. For others, it was filled with all manner of temptations. And maybe this week we 
failed at walking worthy. I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded as we come to the communion table that you have forgiven us and that you have redeemed us and that there is grace and mercy anew and afresh at the foot of the cross. For others, Lord, maybe we've come with a new invigoration and excitement because we have walked in obedience and we have seen you do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. Lord, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, allow us to continue that and encourage others to join us in that, that we may all reach maturity, that we all might find victory in this walk that we walk towards you. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us, you would give us what's needed so that we might walk worthy of the calling we've received. We do so in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's people said, Amen. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, Paul defines and describes the Christian life as a walk. As a walk of significance. As a walk that showcases and, and brings to light to a watching world what we're called to be, what we're called to do. That there's something more about life than just ourselves. You know, walking has that way of doing things. Organizations have come to realize that and they use walking as ways to showcase and bring significance uh, to their organization and to their uh, cause. We walk for the eradication of MS and uh, we raise funds through our walking to do it. Uh, we walk uh, to raise funds and awareness for people in need of drinking water. We walk, and the army has uh, uh, added this idea of walking a hundred mile walk to eradicate uh, soldier suicide. You see, we walk to bring significance and, and to bring a spotlight to areas that are important to us. Uh, Amanda and I have some friends in Hinkley, two ladies that have taken it upon themselves. Uh, to bring a spotlight to uh, a cancer that is uh, close to home for Amanda and I, and that's breast cancer. And they have year upon year gone and walked 40, 50, 60 mile walks over a course of days so they could bring awareness, they could raise funds and, and could create opportunities for research to eradicate a terrible disease. You see, we walk, and this walk is something very, very simple. It's something that most of us are able to do. But it's something that brings a deeper meaning. To walk is to put one step in front of the other. To walk is to bring a level of accomplishment after walking this journey, realizing and knowing you've accomplished something great, looking back and saying, here is what I've accomplished. The Christian walk is just that. Paul could have described the Christian life in all manner of metaphors. He could have used lofty words of theology to explain it, but he speaks to a subject so big and so broad as the Christian faith, and he does so in elementary language, to walk. For many of us, we think the Christian life is a whole lot more. We think that to prove our Christianity, to prove our faithfulness and holiness, we got to get the biggest Bible and can put under our arm. we got to speak with the most theological of languages. We've got to be able to prove our holiness. And that's what captures the heart and mind of God. 
But I like what J. Vernon McGee says when he speaks of this with regards to the Christian life being a walk. He says, a great many people think the Christian life is some great overwhelming experience and you take off like a rocket going into space. But that's not where you live the Christian life. Rather, it's in your home, it's in your office, it's in the schoolroom, it's on the street. Notice what he says. The way you get around this life is to walk. You are to walk in Christ. That's what I want to talk about this morning. That we as Christ followers who have been given a great position and a great many privileges in Christ are now invited to walk and to be a part of a journey. How do we do it? I want you to notice three things in our text this morning, and we'll move through these as quickly as possible. But the first thing we need to do is we need to recognize that this walk means we've got to move differently. We've got to move differently. Paul says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let's stop there. Now, we need to recognize and know Christians aren't the only people walking in this world. Paul will later say in the book of Ephesians, and in just a couple of weeks we'll examine it, Paul says that there are those who walk in darkness, and those are, there are those who walk in light. Paul says as Christ followers, we are to walk in light. That means those who aren't in Christ are walking in darkness. We're all walking. But what Paul says is that our walking must be a different kind of walk. It is to walk in an altogether different direction. Now notice Paul says that he we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. This idea of worthy, that word there in the original Greek that Paul was writing in, speaks of scales. It speaks of the scales that we would put weights on. And the idea here is that there are three positions on which weights can fall on scales. Uh, you can have one weight uh, weighing down one of the scales. You could have another weight holding down another side of the scales, or those scales could be in equal measure. Now, as we look at scales, as we see that picture come up before us, we begin to ask the question, what do the scales of my life look like? Are they equal? Is there one weight uh, weighing one side down than the other? What Paul is wanting us to get is that those in Christ, hear what I'm going to say here, it's very important, that the scales, that word worthy, is the middle picture of the scale. That your scales are equal. Now, now what does that mean? What Paul has said is that our life, our walk, should match our talk. Our practice should be in equal measure to the profession of our faith. It is easy for us as Christians to talk a good game. To sing of the praises of God. To proclaim how much we love the Lord our God. It is easy for us. The Bible says the tongue is able to boast a great many things. But Paul says, I want your walk to match your talk. 
I don't want you to be out ahead of your skis and what you boast about, about how much you love the Lord. I want you to boast that which you can back up in equality. So Paul says, I want your faith to be lived out in action to the same measure of which you talk. And usually for us as Christians, that's not the case. And the watching world says, and they cry foul, and they cry hypocrisy. And so here Paul says, I want you to live and to walk in a way worthy of the calling we receive. Now notice in verse 1, our walk is founded, it is centered upon our calling. Understand this, because this is totally opposite than what our world and our culture tells us today. Our world and culture says, your lifestyle defines your identity. Paul says, in God's equation, your identity defines your lifestyle. So Paul says on the heels of three chapters defining who you and I are in Christ. Sinners saved by grace. Loved by God. Inherited uh, to the blessings of God. Welcomed into the family of God. Blessed with every spiritual blessing uh, in the heavenly realms. All of these things that are true of us. That we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ to do good works. All of that now leads us to a certain lifestyle. And so here Paul says, I want your life to live out the calling you've received. Parents, we tell our children all of this all the time. When they leave the home, when they go out with their friends, remember who you are. Why do you need to remember who you are? Because in remembering who you are, your identity will define your actions. Your identity will define your decisions. It will define your choices. And so Paul says, if you remember your calling, you will make right choices. It is when you forget your calling of who you are in Christ that your choices get all messed up. So Paul says here, I want you to walk, and I want you to walk in such a way that is worthy of the calling. Now remember, it's going to be different than the world's calling. The world's calling is to be selfish. The world's calling is to advance itself. The world's calling is to take care of self. And notice our calling is a completely different calling. But notice this calling is different even amongst Christians. Notice Paul says, I'm a prisoner. And he's speaking to a group of free people. So Paul's calling had him in prison. It had him dealing with tribulations and trials. And he's writing to a group of believers who, for all intent and purposes, are living a pretty normal life. Which tells us that there are times where our calling as Christians are going to be different. They're going to be different from one another. For some, it's going to be a calling of great difficulty, of great pain and sorrow. For others, it will be one of of ease. For others, it will be somewhere in between. But wherever God has you, and notice that Paul says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Listen, our calling and our place in this world is not a byproduct of circumstance or happenstance, but it is by the sovereign choice and plan of God. We are where we are because God has placed us there, and God has uniquely called each of us to a unique calling that's different than everyone else's callings, and yet... As different as our callings may be, 
We are called to the same thing, that we would live in light of our calling and that it would lead us to godly and holy choices. Now notice what Paul says is that our job now to balance out those scales is to pursue two things. Write these down in your outline. Number one, humility. How do we move differently? We pursue humility. Paul says in verse 2, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. Now how do we do it? With all humility. That is to have a proper understanding of who we are. We are not to think too highly of ourselves. Now why in the world would we think so highly of ourselves? Notice in the text, that verse 20 of chapter 3 might be a reason why we might think higher of ourselves than we should. Because we have a God who is doing far more abundantly than we could ever ask for or think according to the power that's at work within us. So how is God going to do immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine? He's going to do that through us. He's going to do that through us. And what will happen is we will begin to think, look at what I'm doing. And instead of being humble, we start to become haughty and we start to think that God needs us and that we're God's greatest gift to His kingdom work. But if you notice, humility says that the power that's at work with us is the Holy Spirit and who, verse 21, should receive the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus? It's God. He's the one that receives all the glory. And so we're reminded that while God is doing miracles through us, we are still broken and finite people. Now what that will do, that humility will do, and you will know if you are humble based on this. How's your gentleness? How's your patience? How do you do at bearing with one another? If you're haughty, then you think that everybody's dumb and you're smart. Everybody's a fool and you're wise. Everybody's weak and you're strong. Everybody is sinful and you are holy. God says, remember who you are. Chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. That's how you used to walk. So if you think now that you're walking in a manner worthy of the calling you've received, before you start thinking that's all because of you, remember how you walk, God says, before I found you, before I saved you. And with those eyes and through that lens, I want you to treat other people. So in humility, we start being gentle with people. Because they're failing around us. They're flawed. They've got idiosyncrasies and and issues and struggles. We're patient with them. Literally, we have a long fuse. We don't blow up at them when they mess up and their failures affect us. We bear with them. That is, when, when they're limping along, we don't go by them and say, What's wrong with you, loser? We begin to bear up with them. We help them. We serve as a crutch with them so that they can walk the journey as well. Now why do we do this? Because Paul is going to require the church to do something. And notice what he's going to need. He needs not only humility that happens individually, but now collectively he says, I need all of you to be humble, patient and gentle, bearing with one another, because I need a unified church. And he's going to tell us why there needs to be unity within the church. And he says, I need you, notice the text says, 
to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word eager in the original language, Greek language, uh, literally means to give maximum effort, to do your best, to spare no expense or effort, to hurry on, to hasten, to exert yourself, to endeavor to do it. And it's not simply to be willing to do it with eagerness, but to follow through with a diligent effort. That means you make it your goal with humility as your heart and your mindset, I'm going to do my best that we might be one as the body of Christ. Now, seven times in our text, we are going to see this word one. If you underline, when, when a word comes up in a handful of verses seven times, probably something you should underline and take notice of. So notice what he says. We need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Let's stop there. Paul says, if the church is going to accomplish collectively its walk, it needs individuals who are humble and who are making every effort to be unified. And he's going to tell us in a moment why the church must be unified. What Paul wants is a church that's rowing in the same direction. And he says this, forget the things that you divide over. Notice, he doesn't even bring up the things that divide us. And there's plenty of things that divide us. There are plenty of things that create distinctions among us. That make us distinctive from one another. But he focuses in on the things that unite us. Notice the things that unite us. Notice that uh, the things that unite us are our calling, are the body we're a part of, the spirit that indwells us, the hope that we have, the Lord who we serve, the faith that we believe, the baptism that we've used to profess our faith, the God who we follow, all of these things we have oneness in. And so it should be a reminder that there is far more that unites us than would ever divide us. And we need to make every effort. We need to push. We need to encourage one another. We need to exert as much effort as possible to make sure we stay united not divide it. This is going to be a really important thing here in the next year because we got another election coming up. And that's going to start to divide us. And we're going to start focusing in on things that aren't as important as all these ones here in the text. And we'll start following the people that we like and the people that we resonate with and, and we'll create distinctions among ourselves. And what God says is there's more that unites us than divides us. And while the world walks a path that starts to be divergent from one another, the people of God stay united. How? Through humility. Pursuing unity. And the reason why we need all this oneness is because God is going to call us to minister. He's going to call us to minister to others so that they can develop. Point number two. We're going to minister to others so that they can develop. Now notice what Paul does. 
Paul has focused these first six verses on you and I. That is the individual. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. I want you to be humble. I want you to be eager to pursue uh, unity. I want you to bear with one another. I want you to be patient. I want you to, um, to be humble. Now, all of that pivots in verse 7. Notice the subject matter starting in verse 7. It goes this way. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when Christ ascended on high, Christ led a host of captives and Christ gave gifts to men. In saying Christ ascended, what does it mean but that Christ also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Christ who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that Christ might fill all things. And Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints of the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The spotlight comes off of you and I, and it focuses in on, help me out. Help me out, people. Jesus Christ. Now Christ is brought into the picture. And so what he's saying is, all right, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I want you to walk a certain way. And here's your example. Jesus is your example. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the one who walked in a way that was worthy of the Lord perfectly. And so how did he do it? He did it with humility. He did it with oneness with the Father. He did so with patience, bearing with one another. And now notice that what he does is he gives. Notice in verse 7, it tells us that the grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's possessive, his gift. Well, what in the world did Jesus Christ give us? Redemption. He gave us redemption through the cross and the sacrifice of his death on the cross of Calvary. And so he has given us life, he's given us grace, he's given us forgiveness, he's given us redemption, and he's done so. And notice that Paul starts now talking about him ascending and descending, and and we all get worked up, what in the world's going on? Paul paraphrases Psalm 68. He does not do it verbatim. If you were to go to Psalm 68, you would say, oh, he messed it up. Why did he do that? There's, there's all kinds of errors. Here's the reason why. I don't think that Paul is using Psalm 68 to exegete the passage, but to use it as an illustration. So I think the reason why that he is not verbatim pulling out the Scripture is to say, hey, I want to use this psalm as an example of what I'm trying to communicate. I want to use it as an illustration of what Christ is doing and how it should impact our lives. And here's what he says. He says Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, so that he might give the people what they needed, so in turn they might get to heaven. You following that? He left heaven, came down to earth, he lived among us, he died for us, 
He gave gifts to us, the gift of redemption, the gift of an inheritance, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now he has given us in that inheritance the ability that one day we will ascend and be with him forever in heaven. Now, what in the world does that have to do with us and the giving of gifts? Now notice in verse 11, it says that he also gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. What are we to do with that in light of this illustration of Psalm 68? Here's what it is. Write this down. This is really important. This will, I believe, by... by all measure, it will change how and why you serve. What Jesus is doing is he's modeling for us what we are called to do in the here and now. Jesus took that which was in heaven, brought it to earth, so that people might taste heaven on earth and have an appetite for what they will have one day in glory. That's what Jesus came to do. Now, we can't do that. We are not here on earth and we cannot bring redemption and salvation. No matter how hard we try, we are sinners. We are ourselves in need of salvation. But now that Christ has saved us, now that he has redeemed us, now that he has made us heirs with him in heaven, our spiritual giftings is this. God has uniquely gifted each and every one of His children with gifts that come from heaven. These are not of gifts of our own. They come from heaven. We are to use these gifts on earth. We are to use them amongst people for what reason? To give people a taste of heaven. To give people a glimpse of heaven. To give people an appetite for heaven. And so, here's what he does. He starts listing the gifts. And so let's talk about gifts for a moment. Not only here, but Paul, especially in chapter 14 of Romans, speaks about the different gifts that we have. I'm sorry, of chapter 13 and 14, he speaks about this in Romans. And in there, he speaks and gives a whole list. He also does it in the book of 1 Corinthians. He speaks about gifts a lot. And he lists some of them. So let's talk about the four types of gifts that we have. First of all, we need to recognize we are all called to share our gifts. Write that down. We are to share our gifts. We have been given a measure of grace. And we are in turn to take Christ's gift to us and we are to give that to others. That involves our time, our talents, our treasures, and our testimony. And so that means that whatever God has given us, He's graced us with, we are to share that with others. So let me stop and let me ask you this morning. We talk about that. We talk about how much God has given us. Does our walk match the talk? Are we serving? Are we giving like Christ has called us to? Now, how do we serve? Well, we can serve by giving of our money, we can also serve by giving of our talents. And he starts talking about talents. And so Mark, write these down. He talks about speaking gifts. He says that there are those who are apostles, that those are prophets, and there are teachers. Uh, these are an evangelist. These are individuals who use the gift that God has given them, the gift of their mouth. 
I'm using my speaking gift right now. Now, I'm not the only one in the room that's doing that. I saw uh, two ladies uh, having a mentoring conversation in the foyer in the earlier service. And the older lady was speaking truth to the younger lady. Well, we weren't just the only ones using our speaking gifts. There are all kinds of classes going on right now. On Sunday morning, on Wednesday night with our students. There's teaching going on and Bible studies and small groups. Those individuals who are teaching are using speaking gifts. They're using their mouth to give people what God has brought through His Word to earth so that people might have an appetite and a glimpse of heaven. My job is to use my gift today to give you a glimpse of heaven. To give you an appetite for heaven. For you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. But that's not the only gifts. Notice there's a shepherding gift. He goes on and he says that we have prophets, evangelists, apostles, we have teachers. And notice right in the middle that there are shepherds. They are to care for the flock. They are to minister to the sheep. We have them. They're elders and and deacons. Their job is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To lovingly care and and lead and, and minister to the needs. So if you're in a small group, you're being led by a leader whose job is to shepherd you, to care for you. When you become a part of Village Bible Church, you are assigned an elder whose job is to shepherd you, to care for you. They are to use their gifts in that way. Where did they learn that gift? From Jesus. And then we have service gifts. Now this is hospitality. This is the use of hands. Now, there's been a lot of service that has been done here. Now, the spotlight, let's just be honest, has been on the speaking gifts. And the speaking gifts get the microphones. They get the lights. They get the stage. But the church is is what it is today, not because of what you see on the stage. It's all the things that are happening behind the scenes. You wouldn't be able to hear me. If it wasn't for the guys in the AV. Uh, We wouldn't have places to park people if it wasn't for the parking lot today. I don't know if you saw, we had all kinds of cops in our parking lot. We had people starting fires in Bliss Woods, all under control. But our parking team and security team was on that today. How would you have liked that if you came out and the whole parking lot was engulfed in flames? I'm glad we have that service ministry. Because here's the thing. What would have happened? I forgot what Pastor Tim even talked about. Because my car is on fire. Who cares what he spoke about? And so we need people. People handed you the bulletin. People handed you the communion elements. People got things together. All of the work that has gone on this week to make sure this place is in an orderly place. And here's the thing for those, and I want you to hear this from someone who's in the spotlight. You who do the service things, you know what you say? I just do this. And Pastor Tim and Pastor Josh and the worship team, man, they're really doing the ministry. No? Paul says that all of these things are equal. They're a part of the body. And we can't just have one part of the body working and not the other part. Listen to me. We need all working. Behind the scenes, in front, behind, wherever. God says, I want you to use your gifts. And here's what you need to remember. No matter what you're doing, here is what your focus should be. I am bringing heaven down to earth to give people a glimpse and an appetite for heaven. 
Man, you'll hand bulletins out in a whole different way. You'll park cars in a whole different way. You will preach in a whole different way. You will teach kids in a whole different way. You will mentor other women in a whole different way. You will be with teenagers in a whole different way. If you recognize you're not just doing some menial work, filling a void, filling a gap, but that you are the manifold wisdom of the kingdom work of God, you are showing the people of this world what heaven will be like. And when you start taking your gifts seriously in that way, you'll be amazed at what God will do. He will do far more than we could ever ask for or imagine. So Paul says you need to use your gifts. Now, a couple of reasons why you might not use your gift. Number one, you could be scared. You could be scared. What if I fail? Well, I've been the pastor here for 20 years, and I have not known of anybody who has failed. Because I know God takes care of it. Now, does that mean we're always at our best? Does that mean we always are perfect? The answer is no. You should go back to some of Tim's early sermons. And what I mean is just last week's sermon. I fail all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've come to this congregation and said, Hey, uh, I was planning on us doing this and we got to do a detour because things didn't work out like Pastor Tim thought they would. And so I know you're afraid. I'm afraid. To step out in faith like that can be a scary thing. For some of us, we're so squeezed out of time. And so what happens is, is we talk to you about using your gifts, and the response we get is, I'm just too busy. Too busy to serve the Lord. Why? Could it be that we're too busy doing the things on earth that we're forgetting to bring heaven down to earth? And so, find time in your schedule. Does it mean getting rid of some things that are temporal so that the eternal can have its place in your life so you can show the world heaven and why they should have an appetite for it? You see, whether you're scared, whether you're squeezed out of time, my desire is that you would stretch. I shared with my small group this week during our discussion... I didn't show up to this pulpit completed. I was 26 years old when I was given the opportunity to preach my very first sermon. And you know how many sermons I had before that? Zero. And I remember they said, you'll do great, you think? And I was petrified. And the whole way home, I could Amanda, be honest with me, that was terrible. Just be, listen, I, I'll stay with you. Just tell me how terrible it was. She says, no, it was good. You can do better, but it was good. And you know what this church said? Do it again. Do it again. And I'm like, well, you're going to find someone better. And they've been lousy at their search. <laughs> and little by little, by stretching, God has given me the grace I need, hopefully, to bring heaven down to earth so that your appetite for heaven might grow. And so you need to stretch. And you need to take whatever measure of God's grace He's given and you need to extend that. Can I just share a number with you right now? And I, I don't want to do this with any guilt, but just as a way of illustration, when we look at our volunteers and people serving and people giving financially to the church, our number at Village Bible Church, Sugargrove Campus, of people who call this place their home, both those numbers hover at around 50%. 50%. You wonder what God could do 
the things far more abundantly than we could ever ask for or imagine if 100% of us would stretch and join in this walk of giving as Jesus has taught us to give. Now I'll leave that between you and the Lord, but surely we could do far more than we could ever ask for or imagine. The gospel work could go even farther than it is, and it's going in great places here if we would just step out in faith and minister to others so that they could develop. Finally, we need to see one final truth, and we'll hit on this third point in the weeks to come, but we need to grow in maturity by helping others to deepen their walk. Paul finishes, and I won't take a lot of time here because we'll address it in the weeks to come, but he says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer are children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow that it builds itself up in love. How do you and I walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received? We keep walking. And as we keep walking, we step by step attain more faith. We attain more knowledge. We attain more depth. We attain more maturity. And the reason why we need to do these things, the reason why we need to walk this way is so that those who are behind us know the way to go. So that those behind us can follow our lead. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. Maybe it's that student that uh, is in your small group. Maybe it's that kid that you teach in your Sunday school class. Whoever it is, you are called to walk this walk so that others may follow you. I am where I'm at in my walk because people walked in front of me. And you are where you're at in your walk because others walked in front of you. Now it is your job as you continue to follow them, as it is you continue to follow Christ, it is now your job to walk in a manner worthy of the calling so that those can follow behind you. And in doing so, we bring everybody to unity in the faith. We bring everybody to maturity in the faith. We bring everybody so no longer we're not being tossed to and fro. But we are all, listen, crossing the finish line in victory. So here, here's what Paul wants us to understand in this text and I will close. Christ has walked this walk. Christ has modeled for us what it is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he received. Now we are to follow Him. And as we follow Him, our job is to do so in such a way that those behind us can follow so that the church united can be presented to our God in heaven, mature, equipped, and functioning to the glory of God. So what's your place in it? And where are you at in your walk? Are there things that need to be worked on? Is your humility something to be desired? Are you not pursuing the unity that you should be? 
Are you not using your gifts as Christ has given you to give? Well, here's the thing. Maybe right now you're not where you need to be. This is why we turn to the cross and we seek forgiveness. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out as we prepare our time for communion. And communion is a time for us to remember what Christ has done. It is to be reminded of what Christ did in His walk. And so maybe today in your walk you're not feeling very worthy. Well, we look to the cross. And we look to the One who walked perfectly. And we look to Him for our forgiveness. For a new redemption. And we confess our failings. I did not walk worthy of the calling I received this week. Father, forgive me. And we're told because of Christ, He will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So take a couple moments and examine your heart. And be encouraged that as Christ finished His walk, and as those who followed after Christ and before us finish their walk, that He will give us the grace and He will give us the gifts so that we can finish our walk in Christ.